and welcome. This is Stuart Haynes, and thanks for joining me for the iFormerX podcast, where we explore the evidence that informs ambulatory care pharmacy practice. I think we are all aware of the strong evidence that supports the inclusion of pharmacists on interprofessional teams who assist with the management of chronic diseases, such as diabetes and hypertension, which often require multiple medications to reach treatment goals. And I believe by virtue of their education and training, pharmacists are uniquely qualified to assist and address the barriers to optimal medication use. Unfortunately, mechanisms for adequately paying for the services provided by pharmacists, particularly pharmacists working in community pharmacy settings, under traditional payment models are lacking. While some pharmacists are able to generate some revenue using incident to billing codes, the fees generated by these workarounds are rather modest. Clearly, we need more data on how best to bill for these services. And that's why a recent study published in the Journal of the American College of Clinical Pharmacy, or JACCP, caught my eye because it provides some much-needed data about a collaborative practice model involving family, practice, physicians, and community pharmacists. And joining me today to discuss this study are Dr. Brittany Schmidt, and Dr. Kimberly Zitko from South College School of Pharmacy in Knoxville, Tennessee. Uh, Dr. Zitko practices at Trinity Medical Associates, which provides primary care services to patients in Knoxville. Brittany, it's, it's great to have you back on the iFormerX podcast today. And Kimberly, thanks for becoming a first-time contributor. Welcome to you both. Thanks for having me back. It's great to be back on the podcast. This was such a great experience for me to be a part of. Thanks for having me. So before we talk about the study you reviewed in your iFormerX commentary, I'd like to start with a brief case vignette. Uh, I want you to imagine you're working for a community pharmacy, and while you have been involved in performing targeted medication therapy management or MTM visits with patients every week, you feel that you can be doing so much more. During your residency training, you had a collaborative drug therapy management agreement with a few of the physicians in your clinic, and you felt you were making a big difference by helping patients get to their therapeutic goals. Since joining the community pharmacy staff about a year ago, the owner has said she's willing to try anything to diversify the business, including offering new clinical services. Your pharmacy is located in a suburban community with two family medicine practices within one mile of your community pharmacy and an internal medicine practice in a multi-specialty office building about three miles away. Most of the prescriptions in your community pharmacy originate from these three practice groups. And you also know that each of these practice groups employs a a few mid-level practitioners like nurse practitioners and physician assistants. So what are some of the things going through your mind in a case like this? What additional information would you want to collect in order to assess what kinds of clinical services are needed? And if you were to perform a SWOT analysis examining the strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats, what would be the key ingredients for success? So if we were to perform a SWOT analysis, we would definitely include the owner's willingness to diversify her business as one of the key strengths. Some of the other key strengths would be the pharmacist's clinical experience that they had gained during their residency, um, including her experience with the collaborative drug therapy management agreement. 
Another strength is the close proximity of the community pharmacy to those other physician practice groups. And since the pharmacy is already offering MTM services, perhaps the pharmacy already has a dedicated physical space to perform the service, and that would be another strength. Some of the weaknesses would include the ability of the current pharmacy workflow to handle these added clinical services. This may need to be re-examined and could potentially be turned into an opportunity to expand into a residency or reimagine responsibilities. Another weakness could be that the owner may be a little concerned about the ability to bill for the CCM services independently, unlike MTM services, which you can bill through through a platform like Outcomes. The CCM billing model would require some more communication, tracking, and contractual agreements regarding billing with the primary care clinics. To determine the opportunities, we would like to collect more information about the three practice groups near us. It would be really good to get in touch with an office manager at each of these sites to see about getting specifics on the number of patients they see and the number of patients broken down by insurance payers. Specifically, if we're looking to provide chronic care management services, or CCM, we would want to see the number of Medicare patients, as this is a service that the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services reimburse for Medicare patients. We'd also want to look for information about their quality metrics and identify if there's any areas that we feel they're having difficulty meeting their metrics. And most importantly, we would like to try and do a focus group with the providers and see what they prioritize as their unmet needs. This is actually probably the most important thing to get the provider's buy-in because we may see areas that we would like to focus on, but they may have a different perspective of where pharmacists could best um, serve their patients. Well said, Brittany. I would say one of the biggest threats facing the community pharmacy is that they don't know the mindset or the past experiences of the three practice groups when it comes to clinical pharmacy services. They would need to be able to convince these providers what they bring to the table as a pharmacy team, how they can improve outcomes, and how both parties can increase revenue. They will also need to convince the providers why they will likely need access to their shared patient electronic health records for all of this to be a success. As Brittany was saying, reaching out to the office manager would be an excellent first contact to test the waters. I also think that collecting all of the data beforehand um, and having a pitch ready for the clinics to see how they can help meet some of these metrics will go a long way in overcoming this possible threat. So, Kimberly, let's talk about the study conducted by the folks at the University of Iowa College of Pharmacy and Greenwood Pharmacy in Waterloo, Iowa. As many of our listeners probably know, several investigators at the University of Iowa have published an impressive series of manuscripts regarding pharmacist-physician co-management of hypertension. And this article certainly adds to that body of literature. Well, I certainly hope that most of our listeners will eventually read the article, and and we provide a link to the paper on the iFormerX website. Can you give us a brief summary of the study methods and its major findings? Absolutely. This was an interesting read indeed. Hones and colleagues aim to determine the financial and disease impact of CCM implementation through a hypertension collaborative practice agreement between an independent rural community pharmacy and a family medicine clinic. This was a single group pilot study that followed 26 shared Medicare patients with uncontrolled hypertension over nine months. 
Their objectives were to implement a hypertension collaborative practice CCM service with that family medicine clinic, measure the change in blood pressure for those CCM patients, and report the financial viability for such a service. Some key procedural pieces that I think listeners should note are that both the clinic and the pharmacy had access to that shared electronic health record, which tracked time spent during encounters. Brittany will talk about later how that's a very important piece of the CCM service. The pharmacy utilized one clinical pharmacist and one resident for the CCM appointment. Lastly, the collaborative practice agreement allowed the pharmacist to dose adjust medications, but not initiate new medications. While the study included 26 patients, this only made up 57% of the 45 patients that were originally identified as eligible. Included patients were an average of 70 years old, and over 70% of them were taking two or more antihypertensive medications. After the nine-month study period, there was a statistically significant decrease in systolic blood pressure, but not diastolic blood pressure. During the study, the systolic blood pressure decreased from approximately 140 millimeters of mercury to 133 millimeters of mercury, and the diastolic blood pressure decreased from nearly 80 millimeters of mercury to 76 millimeters of mercury. Care during the study consisted of 3,090 clinic CCM minutes approximately 56.5 hours, and 3,021 pharmacy CCM minutes, about 50.4 hours. There were a total of 98 community pharmacy care notes and 17 medication changes over that study period. It's worth noting that only two medication changes occurred during the second half of the study. The total revenue over the nine-month study period was $5,842. This broke down to $2,785 in pharmacy revenue and $3,057 in clinic revenue. The additional clinical time that the community pharmacy provided uh, equaled $522 that the clinic would not have been able to claim otherwise. So this was a relatively small study. Indeed, the authors call it a pilot study, and its primary intent was to test the feasibility and financial viability of a co-management arrangement between a physician practice and a community pharmacy practice. So this single center study shouldn't be generalized, and any conclusions must be tested in a more rigorous manner. Nonetheless, I think there are some important lessons here. In your opinion, what are the key strengths and weaknesses of this paper? Since pharmacists are not listed as providers under Medicare Part B currently, a community pharmacy could not set up and bill for chronic care management. To our knowledge, this is one of the first studies that describes a framework for how chronic care management could be provided in a community pharmacy by collaborating with the physician practice. There are studies that have discussed how pharmacist involvement in chronic care management and ambulatory clinics but though in those studies, the pharmacist was working within the clinic and not in a community pharmacy. This study defined the key elements the community pharmacy needs in order to be able to implement chronic care management services in collaboration with the physician practice. And one of the strengths of this study is that it provides specific details on the revenue that was earned by both parties, the community pharmacy and the physician practice. In this study, both parties gain financially from providing the shared service. This study could be used as data to support a dialogue between a community pharmacy interested in providing this service with the physician practice. Additionally, the patients benefited clinically, so this could also be used as additional support for that dialogue. Well said, Brittany. While these patients did 
benefit clinically from this study. The study duration was only nine months, and the average blood pressure didn't quite meet our guideline accepted blood pressure goal. There was only two interventions that took place in the second half of the study, and this really highlights the need for continued referrals for a service like this to justify the pharmacist's hours. Two other limitations of this study were the study design and the enrollment. Since there was no control group, it is hard to say what the true impact of this intervention is. This community pharmacy was also very fortunate to have an existing relationship with the clinic. This relationship also allowed for a convenient shared patient population. Uh, these patients may have been more motivated to make changes and take medications as directed. I also think that this relationship made it easier for the pharmacy to gain EHR access since this is a common barrier um, to expanding this type of service into community pharmacy settings. So, Brittany, let's return to our case. Recall you are a talented, committed, and eager clinical pharmacist who would like to initiate some new clinical services. Let's assume that your needs assessment reveals that many of your patients are not achieving their blood pressure goals, and two of the practice groups have missed out on some quality incentive payments. And let's also assume that these physician groups are open to the possibility of working with you to help their patients achieve better blood pressure control. Based on the information in this article, what are some key issues that need to be addressed as you embark on this journey? Do you think co-managing patients with hypertension in this community pharmacy setting is financially viable? Well, I think it's a great opportunity for the pharmacy to expand their services and potentially generate revenue through chronic care management or CCM, which was discussed in this, this article. Buy-in from both the pharmacy and the physician's groups is a great start, but there's still a lot of work to be done to make this successful and financially viable. Before starting the service, it would be important to know if the physician groups already offer chronic care management services, and if so, how many patients do they already have enrolled, and how many more patients may be eligible? If they're not already providing chronic care management services, how many patients could be eligible? Chronic care management is a newer reimbursement model, but still requires enough patient volume to be successful and financially viable. Another thing to consider is the physical space within the pharmacy. It sounds like the pharmacist is already providing an MTM service, so hopefully they already have a dedicated space away from the rest of the pharmacy to focus on providing chronic care management. In a community pharmacy, providing chronic care management could be done with telephone or in-person appointments. So having a space that would allow for both of those is really important. And then the pharmacy workflow may also need adjustment as the pharmacist needs to have dedicated time to both setting up the service and then running the service once it's implemented. In looking at the workflow, it'd be really important to identify areas for non-pharmacist involvement. What roles could pharmacy technicians play and maybe any pharmacy interns or residents that the pharmacy may have? The pharmacist would want to establish a collaborative agreement with the physician group. While you could provide chronic care management services without doing that, having a collaborative agreement that outlines what the pharmacist autonomously without prescriber approval will really help save time. Without that agreement, any recommendations for changes to medications would need to be communicated to the prescriber, wait for the prescriber to respond, and then communicate those back to the patient. So that collaborative um, agreement, if it's established, that gives the pharmacist some autonomy and decision-making regarding medications, whether that's just adjusting current medications and or adding additional therapy, will really help save time. 
either as part of that collaborative um, agreement or in a separate contract, there needs to be an agreement between the pharmacy and the physician group regarding reimbursement for chronic care management services. Chronic care management is billed based upon the time spent managing a chronic condition outside of a clinic visit. Since pharmacists are not currently recognized as prescribers by CMS, we cannot bill for these services. So the physician group is the one who needs to actually bill for the services based upon the time spent. This could look like the pharmacist being the only person providing the chronic care management for a patient, or the patient may interact with both the pharmacist and someone within the physician group who could also provide care. So we need to determine a contract that will decide how the reimbursement will be divided among the parties based upon time spent. There also needs to be a way to track that time spent because the billing is dependent on that time spent and then also complexity. So the CPT code 99490 can be billed for eligible patients when 20 minutes of clinic staff time per month, which would include the pharmacist's time or another staff member's time, is spent providing chronic care management. For complex patients, when major changes are made to the comprehensive care plan that involve moderate or high complexity decision making, and at least 60 minutes of staff time is spent that month, either again the pharmacist's time or another staff member's time, CPT code 99487 can be billed. While the study discussed in the commentary focused on reimbursement from chronic care management using the CPT codes, there may be other ways chronic care management could generate revenue for both the pharmacy and the practice. For example, if chronic care management services help to improve quality measures, that could lead to more reimbursement for the pharmacy or the physician group. If the physician group is able to improve quality, they may be able to get quality incentive payments, and the pharmacist should negotiate in the contract potential sharing of that payment. Another big need for chronic care management to be successful is shared access to electronic health record, which we've talked about a, a couple of times now. But it's really key because having that shared access to the same health record will allow the pharmacist to help in identifying eligible patients for the chronic care management services. Pharmacists could identify eligible patients and then message the providers through that electronic health record to obtain consent before an upcoming appointment. To be eligible, Medicare patients have to have two or more chronic conditions that are expected to last at least 12 months, and those conditions put the patient at a risk for decline. Eligible patients actually have to consent to participate in chronic care management, and it's getting consent is required so patients are engaged in the service and they can be made aware of any cost to them. Once a patient has consented and is enrolled in chronic care management, a shared electronic health record can provide a way to track time spent by both parties providing the service to the patient. Shared access to the electronic health record is also important because chronic care management involves updating the patient's comprehensive care plan. Having shared access to the comprehensive care plan allows each party to easily update it and keep everyone on the team up to date. While not required, it's also helpful to build documentation templates into the electronic health record. While developing these will take time at the front end, it'll help ensure consistent communication and decrease time on the back end. While it is a potential source of revenue, it's unlikely that it could support a full pharmacist FTE at this time. In the study published in JACCP, over the nine-month study period, the total revenue for the pharmacy was less than $3,000, which is not a significant amount. A large part of the financial viability of the service will depend on how many patients are enrolled and how the pharmacy is able to engage other employees like pharmacy technicians in tasks that can be delegated.
it is unlikely that this could be the sole revenue to support the pharmacist's salary or the pharmacy, but definitely is a way to kind of expand the services that the pharmacy offers. And potentially the reimbursement for these services could change in the future. Well, Brittany, Kimberly, thank you so much for joining me today to talk about clinical pharmacy services, particularly in community pharmacy settings and the business practice model to support their implementation. And I think it's clear from your comments that you believe chronic care management has a potential to offer added value services in community pharmacies, but the financial constraints, the financial viability of such a service is still questionable. Well, tell us how your clinical pharmacy model is financially supported. Remember, only iFormerX members can leave comments and use the interactive features on the site. If you are not a member of iFormerX already, I encourage you to sign up. It's free. If you are a board-certified ambulatory care pharmacist, be sure to check out the board recertification program offered by the American Pharmacists Association. APHA has partnered with iFormerX to make our commentaries and podcasts available for board recertification and continuing education credit. You can learn more about APHA's Ambulatory Care Board Prep and Recertification Program by clicking on the link at the bottom of the written commentary posted on the iFormerX website. And lastly, a special thanks to my colleagues, residents, and students here at the University of Mississippi who support iFormerX in so many invisible ways, like providing great ideas for new commentaries and podcasts, and for providing the back-end logistical support that keeps the iFormerX website up and running. To the folks at the University of Mississippi Foundation who keep track of the financial gifts from our members, and to the School of Pharmacy staff who make certain our bills get processed in a timely manner, I want to thank all of you for making iFormerX possible. And thanks to all of you who have made financial contributions to iFormerX. We truly depend on your financial support to keep iFormerX free and independent of commercial influence. Well, until next time, this is Stuart Haynes, Editor-in-Chief of iFormerX, signing off. Be well, my friends. Music